So I thought that after last Sunday's musical, we would continue to spend a few weeks in the book of Esther because it's such a powerful story and a beautiful story and a story that can teach us a number of lessons about living life in the world in which we live, not just back then, but also today. And so what I did was I asked the cast, the the kids in the cast of the musical, to come up with their favorite parts of the Esther story. And of course, they did an absolutely fabulous job of doing that. And so I took what they gave me, and we put together this series called Secret Agent. And the idea of Esther kind of as a secret agent in the story, but not the only secret agent in the story, actually. So, so that's the deal. So to get to our reading today, it needs a little setup, particularly if you weren't here last week or if you need a refresher on the, the story itself. The, the story is written about a particular time, about 500, almost 500 years before Jesus was born. The Jews were in exile, and the Persian kingdom was ruling. And so the story is written about King Ahasuerus, or King Xerxes I, and the Jews are exiled, so their situation is not good. And the story starts off with the king being upset with the queen because Queen Vashti would not come to the king when he requested her to do so. He gets so upset, in fact, that he removes her from her position and seeks out another queen from among any of the women in the kingdom. All of them are able to, are eligible, so to speak. And that is where we pick up in the story. Now, there was a Jew in the citadel of Susa whose name was Mordecai, son of Jair, son of of Shimson, of Kish, a Benjaminite. Kish had been carried away from Jerusalem among the captives, carried away with King Jeconia of Judah, whom King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon had carried away. Mordecai had brought up Hadassah, that little at the end is a Hebrew kind of Hadassah, that is Esther, his cousin, for she had neither father nor mother. The girl was fair and beautiful, and when her father and her mother died, Mordecai adopted her, her father and mother died, Mordecai adopted her as his own daughter. So when the king's order and his edict were proclaimed, and when many young women gathered in the citadel of Susa in in custody of Haggai, Esther also was taken into the king's palace and put in custody of Haggai, who had charge of the women. The girl pleased him and won his favor, and he quickly provided her with cosmetic treatments and her portion of food, and with seven chosen maids from the king's palace, and advanced her and her maids to the best place in the harem. Esther did not reveal her people or kindred, for Mordecai had charged her not to tell. Every day, Mordecai would walk around in front of the court of the harem to learn how Esther was and how she fared. Join me in a prayer. 
Gracious God, this story is its an incredible story. It's a wonderful story. It's a funny story. It's an ironic tale. We ask that as we piece through it in these coming weeks, that you may uncover for us life lessons and how we can live in this world under your guiding hand. Our prayer always is, speak to us that we might hear, guide us that we might follow. In Christ's name, amen. So one of the questions that often comes up with the book of Esther is the historical accuracy of it. Is it, a, is it a history lesson? Meaning, is everything that happens in the story exactly what happened back then? And the easy answer to that question is no. It's not a history lesson. It's not even close. In fact, the story is more to be read like you would historical fiction. Some things are true, but most of the tale is written for a certain purpose, and there are characters, and so it's, it's like that. So the facts that are true and certain are there was the king, and the people were in exile. Beyond that, it's, it has another purpose. In fact, it was written as a comedy, which is why the musical last week's was so easily funny. That's the purpose of the Esther story. And that it, it, it's, its purpose actually is not to be funny. The purpose of its writing was to help the Jewish people learn how to remain faithful to God while living in their exiled situation and learn how to remain faithful while being in exile. That was the point of the writing of the story. And each character in the play, in the musical, in this tale represents a certain aspect of the exiled life of the Jewish people. So, you know, Esther and Mordecai obviously represent the Jewish people themselves in their situation. Haman, the king's right-hand man, the villain, is the one who represents kind of the evil side of the invading, oppressing empire, the part that doesn't care at all about the Jewish people and really just wants to wipe them out of the kingdom altogether. It represents that side of it. The king himself actually represents the more undecided piece of the invading empire, the one that's not quite sure, that is just, you know, doesn't necessarily want to wipe them out or anything like that, but doesn't have to keep them around either, which is why the king in the musical and in the story kind of is this bumbly, undecided, here and there kind of person, represents that aspect. So each one and each piece of this story has something to say about how the Jewish people were to remain faithful to God while living in exile, and consequently, for us, how we can, in fact, live in the world in which we live. So one of the things that the kids lifted up, and in fact, one of the things that a secret agent is, is brave. And the kings noted, I mean, the kids noted that right away. They, they said, we like the fact that Esther is brave. We also, they noted like the fact that she's one of the few female heroes in the Bible. 
but she's brave, they said. She does what she needs to do. And interestingly enough, the story itself sets out to make it almost force Esther to be brave. She has to be brave by the simple situation she finds herself in. She's immediately, as we just read, thrust into this environment where if she's going to stick with it at all, it requires a certain amount of bravery. As it says, Mordecai told her to go live in the palace, but don't tell them who you are. Now, to do that requires a certain amount of bravery. And the Jewish people would have picked up on that one right away. The fact that she remains quiet about who she is. Why? Because that's how they felt. They felt thrust into this exiled situation, something beyond their control. They had little to no control over, and they didn't feel safe sharing who they were. And so the fact that Esther remains quiet would have given them some comfort in knowing that being faithful to God The bravery that that calls upon isn't necessarily the kind of bravery that means running out and shouting who you are at the top of your lungs everywhere you go, no matter what. That's not bravery. That's foolishness. So Esther's style of of being brave gave them permission and some comfort in knowing that it is okay and even faithful at times to remain quiet depending on your, your circumstances. The other thing they would have picked up on that requires a lot of bravery is how she did it. In fact, the fact that she was willing to stick with it all the way through. And in every piece of the story of Esther, you find her always trying to figure out, what should I do? Should I speak here? Should I not speak here? Should I get involved in this? Should I not get involved in this? Should should I do something about this? Now that I know what to do, which comes later in the story, and she's queen and everything, now that I know what to do, when do I do it? How do I do it? She's in this constant state of daily discernment about what exactly her role should be to help promote the right outcome. In other words, what we find in Esther is someone who believes very deeply in a God that is willing and wanting to bring things together that otherwise don't look like they could ever be together at all. In other words, a God of reconciliation rather than a God of division. And so Esther Her bravery is about sticking with, trying God's work of of pulling things together that on face value don't look like they're reconcilable at all, like a Jewish queen in a kingdom that has exiled the Jewish people. Her bravery is about sticking with The work of trying to hold things together, even when the world doesn't welcome it, and even when those two things don't look like they can be together at all. And that's the lesson. That's what bravery in the real world looks like. Bravery isn't just about 
being a superhero and smashing the villain to smithereens. Bravery is about the ability to stick with it, to not give up, continuing to try to be part of God's reconciling work, pulling things together that otherwise don't look like they could be together at all. And even when the world doesn't welcome it. And that's not easy to do. It's not easy for them. It's not easy for us. After all, the world we live in is a messy place. It's tense. It's two-sided with almost everything. The political environment has gotten so bad that it's hard to even watch anymore. And we don't even know where to start with that. Do I, do I say something here? Do I not say something? Do I, do I get involved? Do I not get it? Is it safe? Have we actually gotten to the point that you'd better be red or blue and you'd better pick the right color because if you don't, you're less than human? Is that what we've become? If I were to stand up in front of you today and say I plan to vote for Donald Trump for president, are some of you going to write me off? See you next week. If, if I were to say I plan to vote for Hillary Clinton, does that all of a sudden make me lose credibility in the eyes of some of you? Maybe. <laughs> if I were to say I don't believe in either of them and I'm going to write in my own candidate, are you going to label me a quitter? Does being Christian mean I need to align myself with a particular political party? Is that what being Christian means? Or does being Christian and being faithful mean more than that? I hope so. I should think it would When my wife and I moved to Bartlesville, Oklahoma years ago and started off as pastor at First Presbyterian in downtown, there in that great little city, one of the things we did with the church was we met with groups in their homes for the first couple of months. You know, it was kind of the size church that you could pull that off and actually get around to everybody eventually. It was just a meet and greet thing, you know, dessert and coffee, and we'd just kind of sit down and how you doing? And, and we often would get in a circle, you know. It, it didn't have to be, but sometimes we would. And I will never, and we'd go around and introduce ourselves. And I will never forget, it was the very first group. We went around, and about three people in, he said, how are you doing? I'm so-and-so, and I just want you to know I'm your most conservative member. 
All right, good to, I'll I'll jot that down. Three people later about, another one jumped in and said, how you doing? My name's so-and-so. I'm your most liberal member. And then they both looked at each other and had kind of this stare down, you know. This kind of look on their face that was like, well, I'm not so sure that you believe in God the way you should. But we're going to be together. We're going to stick together and we're going to leave that up to God. Why? Because in Jesus Christ, God pulled us together. When by all rights, God should have dismissed us all completely. Now, I sat there and I just, and I said to myself, in some small way, isn't that the church at her best? Small acts of bravery that we're willing to be together. We don't see things even close to the same way, but we're willing to be together. Why? Because God is a God who reconciles, not divides. The church at her best. I don't want to be the pastor of a blue church I don't want to be the pastor of a red church. I want to be the pastor of a real church. I want to be part of a church that, like Esther, believes in a God who reconciles rather than divides. I want to be part of a church that bravely stands up in the world and discerns the way in which we will live that out together, a church that continues to be brave in sticking with it, pulling and holding things together that otherwise don't look like they could even stand to be in the same room because we believe in a God who does that very thing. That's the church I want to be part of. The brave and faithful church of Jesus Christ. The kind of church that the world desperately needs. Amen.